Good morning, everybody. Hey, it's great to be with you all here this morning. It's a great privilege, great blessing for me. I'm usually over in our church in Perry Sound, so uh, it's a great honor for me to be over here, privileged to be opening up God's Word with you this morning. If you're new here, if you're visiting with us, this is the time when we get into God's Word. You're going to need a copy off that, so if you forgot your Bible, if you don't own one, uh, if you forgot to bring it, that's okay. Just throw your hand up in the air. We have ushers here, some lovely people coming down the aisles uh, that would love to get a copy of God's Word into your hands. If you know someone who would maybe want a Bible uh, that you want to give one to, again, throw your hand up in the air. We would love uh, to bless people with God's word. Take that home. Feel free to pass that on to someone else as well. Been going through uh, this series uh, this called Real Marriage, and we've been basing it out of uh, the passage of Ephesians 5. Uh, Ephesians 5 is where we've been. And in Ephesians 5, verse 32, Paul describes marriage as a mystery. Talks about marriage and gives us all of these rules of, of what, what a husband's doing in a marriage and what a wife's doing in a marriage and how does this all play out? And in verse 32, he says, this mystery is profound. And maybe you're like, yeah, I totally get that. You know what? My, I've been married for 20 years. My, my wife mystifies me every day or my husband's kind of weird. I still haven't figured them out. They do all these weird, quirky things. It's not the kind of mystery he's talking about. He says this mystery of marriage, he says it refers to something. It points us to something. He says it teaches us about our relationship with Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ and the church for us, as Christ followers who make up the church, it tells us something about how we can have a vertical relationship, an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father, with God, and how that's played out in our horizontal relationship of marriages. And we've seen that. We've been looking the last few weeks at what does that look like? Husbands, you're to lay your life down for your wives. You're to love your, your wife like Christ loves the church and, and put Christ's love on display. And that's how you see the, the gospel played out in the husband's role. And then in a wife's role in, in verse 22, it says that wives are to submit to their husbands. How does that play out? Why do you get to put this awesome news, this, this gospel, this life-changing, life-saving news on display that as we submit to Christ, as we give our lives to him, as we entrust our care and our desires and our wants to him, that's the good news of the gospel. That, we're come, that we come to know our heavenly father God through Jesus Christ. So wives, you get to live that out and put that on display by submitting to your husband. And, and that's the balance of marriage that a, a husband is called to lay down his life, to, to, to love his wife well, to exalt her. And for a wife is to, to come along and submit and be a helper to the husband. So the balance of marriage is for the husband. It's help me lay my life down for you. It's this awesome, beautiful picture of, of love, of unconditional love, of exalting, sacrificial love that gives us this view of our relationship, of what our heavenly father is like. And that's an awesome thing, amen? That's what, that, that's what, in a nutshell, kind of what we've been learning and thinking about uh, uh, in marriage. But then here's the, here's the obvious thing, and maybe the obvious burning question, perhaps even further fuel desire through this series to ask is, what if I'm single? <laughs> what if I'm not married? That's great and wonderful that so many people get this wonderful gift of, of marriage. But what if God hasn't given me that gift? Well, this morning I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we're going to be for the most of the morning. And I want us to turn there because Paul uh, continues to talk about marriage. But in this chapter, we're, we're kind of going to jump through. We're going to skip over a few bits and pieces. In 1 Corinthians 7, again, he's talking about marriage, but he hones in more specifically and gives some specific instructions to us who are single as well. In verse 6, he says this, Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. So what's a concession? It's a right that's given. It's something that's conceded. If you were, if you were having a conversation with somebody and they made a really good point, you'd have to be like, you know what? Yeah, I concede to that. That's a, that's a really good point. That's a fair point that you make. So Paul says this. He says, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself am, single. 
That's what he means. He says, I wish that all uh, were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So here's the thing. Paul, again, same author that, that we've been looking and studying in Ephesians. Paul, the very same writer who's given us all of these great, wonderful things about marriage, then brings us to this point where he says, well, actually, if you boil it all down, if, if you really press my heart on this, Paul says, I wish you could all have the gift of singleness like me. He says, we all have our own gift. He's saying to some of them, you have the gift of marriage, but I actually wish that all of you could be single like I am. So here's a first point this morning. He says, God's word very clearly says here that being single is a gift. Singleness is a gift. Being single is not, not a punishment, not a resentment from God, not a God's kind of forgotten about me scenario. If you're single, God's given you a gift in your life, whether that's short-term or long-term or for a season or maybe for a season now that you didn't even realize or see what was coming. Maybe you've been married in the past. But God's word tells us that singleness is a gift. And here's the thing. Everybody knows the best gifts are the gifts that actually serve a purpose, right? Now, dads usually kind of take it too far. If dad does the Christmas shopping, it's like Christmas morning and seven-year-old daughter opens up and she's like, why did I get a wrench set and a car jack? And it's like, you'll be able to change your snow tires with that one day. And it's like, mom, why did dad do that? Right? Not that, not that kind of gift. But here's the thing. It, I think of the best kind of gift is Amelia bought me this watch. My wife, she bought me a watch. And I love it because I put it on every day. It's useful. It serves a purpose. I get to look at it. It tells me the time. And every time I look at it, it reminds me of this relationship I have with her as well. And I think singleness is something that, that's, if you're single, it's obvious in your life. It's something that as a single person in the same context, you think about it every day. Whether you desire it or, or, or whether you don't even really maybe want it to be a part of your life, you put it on, so to speak, every single morning. So the question is, what purpose does God have for you in your life in being single? To this place where Paul could say, I wish that everybody got to experience this the way I do. Because I get it, maybe you're here this morning and I've kind of already almost lost you. Maybe you're single and you're like, okay, forget it. Here's a married guy and he's putting up his first point and saying singleness is a gift. Like, excuse me, can I get out right now? Because maybe you're here and you're like, no, singleness is really hard. Singleness is difficult. Singleness can be, can be lonely, can be trying, can be frustrating. Maybe you're like, you know what, sure, for some people that's great if it's this kind of holier than thou calling. If you want to go live in the mountains and grow your own root vegetables, if that's like fulfilling for you, great, but not for me. Maybe you read this and you're like, see, see, this is where the Bible is so out of context, so out of culture, because everybody today is all about dating and relationships and getting married and having kids and all of these things. This is, this is where the Bible seems so out of touch. Here's the thing, for Paul to say that singleness is a gift... Even in his day when he was writing this, it was so countercultural. It was even religiously countercultural. For Paul to say that, I wish all of you could be single, it was weird. Because here's the thing, and this is where, tune in now, because this is single people, this is where the gospel comes into your life. This is where we reflect the gospel if you're a single person. Because here's the thing, even to the Jewish leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, all the religious people of the day, the culture of the day, up until now, the whole call of the Old Testament was go and be fruitful and multiply. That's what God said when he created Adam and Eve in the garden, go and be fruitful and multiply. And God showed his blessing on Abraham by saying what? That he would give him many children. 
many descendants. He'd make him a great nation. He'd give him a family. And there's all through the Old Testament, God's blessing was shown and described by people marrying and having sons and daughters and building the kingdom of God. There was a specific group of people, the nation of Israel. And, and by doing that, you were expanding God's nation. You were part of God's kingdom. So being married, having kids, it was a big deal. It was God's intended design for their lives. So here's the thing. Park that thought for a second. So on the flip side of that, imagine living in that, calling in that culture. On the flip side of that, if you were, as the Bible would call, maybe a, a barren woman, someone who couldn't have children, if you were a eunuch, which, which was a man who was going to remain single and wasn't going to have kids, probably wasn't going to marry, you were seen as being cursed by God. Why? Because you were being cut off from God's family. You were being cut off from God's people. His blessing, that, that blessing stopped with you. Your generation was being cut off from God. But then he, here's the crazy radical shift that, that happens. Turn to Isaiah 53. I want you to go there. We're going to be here for a couple of moments. Isaiah 53. We get to Isaiah in the Old Testament, and he's prophesying about Jesus coming, about the work that Jesus was going to do for us and how this was going to change everything. Isaiah 53 verse 4 is talking about this, and he says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Look what it says in verse 8. It says, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living talking about what was going to happen to Jesus. And the question is then, obviously, why? Why did this happen? All of this punishment and separation and grief and sorrow and chastisement and all of these things is what we've been singing about before we started this morning. It was that Jesus came, and that was a price that he was paying for us. Because that's, that's what we deserve. That's the price of our sin. Look at what it says in verse 6. It says that um, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. What that's saying is we've all chosen to say, so you know what, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to pursue my desires. God, I know how you're calling me to live. I understand that, but this is what I want. This is what I'm going to pursue. This is what I'm going to be fulfilled in. And because God is a holy, pure, just, loving, fair God, he has to punish sin. And the Bible tells us that the wages of our sin is death. We see that when Adam and Eve sin in the garden, they're cast out of the garden and death comes into the world. So then God, in his grace, he steps down and, and he comes as this perfect man, this guiltless man, this perfect sacrifice. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the perfect sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 says that for our sake, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. We see through the work that Jesus did on the cross that Jesus, Jesus opened up the way for every single one of us to be made right with God. Regardless of what family we're born into or who our parents are or what ethnicity we are, or what our past is or how badly we've messed up or any of those things, whether we're single or whether we get married or whether we have kids, Jesus opened the door for all of us to be part of the kingdom of God because Jesus, when he came and he began his ministry in Luke 4, what did he say? He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's like, this is how now you're going to enter the kingdom of God. This is how you're going to be part of God's family. You're going to repent of your sin. You're going to confess it. 
and we confess it to Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that, that Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus didn't just die on the cross and that was it. He rose again. He defeated death. He defeated sin. And the Bible tells us that he, he rose again and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's there interceding for us. What does that mean? It means he's there speaking for us. He's there on our behalf. So when God looks down on us, even though we're still sinful, even though we're still broken, even though we still wrestle with sin, myself included, that when God looks down on us, instead of seeing a need to pour out wrath and judgment or chastisement and all of these things, Jesus is there and he's speaking for us. He said, I've paid for that. That price is paid. That person's paid for. There's no more guilt. There's no more shame. There's no more any of those things because Jesus Christ has taken that for us on the cross. You look at Jesus's death and you'd be like, why was it such a brutal death? Think about it. He was betrayed by his friends. He had all that shame and guilt as he was paraded before people. And when he was on the cross, he cries out, what does he cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because that's what we deserve. But whenever we confess our sin to Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So because of that amazing good news of the gospel, don't get lost, don't, don't, don't just kind of group that, that message in with everything else of good news. The gospel means good news, but it's so much more than kind of, hey, good news, got a new job. Hey, good news, getting married. Hey, good news, uh, expecting a baby. Like, oh, yeah, that's great, good news. But the gospel is a whole different kind of good news. That we were lost in our trespasses and sin, that we were separated from God, bound for an eternity without him. But because of the work of Jesus Christ, we can now be found in his family. We can be children of God, made right with God. Go to spend eternity with him. That's a good news. Yeah, amen. That's the gospel right there. And so how did this all change then? When Jesus comes and because of this work he does, the, the calling is no longer go and be fruitful and multiply. Jesus calls people to follow him. And then what does he say? What does he commission them to do? Go and make disciples. Come follow me. Go make disciples. Go baptize people. Go share this good news with other people. This is how you come into the kingdom, into the family of God. And that's good news so much so that now look at what happens in Isaiah 54. Now look at what Isaiah is able to say about single people, unmarried people, that in that time up until then it was kind of seen as this curse of resentment from God. Isaiah 54 says, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor. Why? For the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married. Isaiah 56, verse 4, says, Thus saith the Lord, verse 4, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, who hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, get this, better than sons and daughters. Better than sons and daughters, better than having kids, better than being married, better than a relationship here on earth. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. It says, whether you're married or single or have kids or no kids, we all have the same gift that's given to us, the gift of Jesus Christ that allows us to be spiritually born into the family of God. God's plan for our lives is to know him, to be spiritually born into his family, to become a child of God, to be brought back into this perfect relationship with him. And this is how singleness too is designed to point us to that greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Where if you're a single person this morning in whatever context, you can say, I've got Jesus. I've got this amazing gift. I'm right with God. And you know what? I'm secure in that. You can live out the gospel by saying, you know what? I, I can be single and I can be confident confident in who I am before the Lord, 
confident in what my life's about. I'm not wondering if God has cursed me or if he doesn't like me or if there's something wrong with me. I'm not looking for all my hope and identity and happiness and fulfillment in a relationship here on earth because I know that I have this relationship with Jesus Christ. I have all that I, I have all that I need. And just as marriage is designed to point us to our need of this vertical relationship, I think in our singleness, it gives us this almost more unique and almost, I would say, even more powerful opportunity to reflect the gospel where we can say, I can truly be content and fulfilled as I press into the Lord. The fact that I can be single and have joy and hope and confidence is not because I look good or have good sex appeal or have others chasing after me or excel at my job or career, whatever it is. It's because I have Jesus. And when we have that, then that also rolls into our marriages. In the most personal, detailed, caring of ways, God cares for you specifically. God is good to you. God loves you. God cares for you. If you're single, God has given you a gift of singleness for a purpose. And he uniquely equips and gifts you for the calling that he's placed on your life, whether it's for a season or whether it's for your whole life. And this is where the gospel speaks to our singleness. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe that God is for you, that that's what God has done for you, that that's your true identity and hope, and that's where you find all of your, all of your value in him, the devil will have all sorts of victory over your life when you're single. If you don't believe that, if you don't believe the gospel, because the devil will come in and tell you, you know what, you're single because you're strange, or you must be quirky, or you kind of got too much baggage, or you're unlovable, or there's something wrong with you. You mustn't be putting yourself out there enough. And I kind of twist that as well to, to, to change your, your desires and your pursuit. Instead of pursuing a vertical relationship with God, you'll start to say, well, you know what? If I had a girlfriend or a boyfriend, then I would be happy. If I had someone that told me every day that they love me, then, then life would be easier. If, if I got married and had kids, then I'd really be fulfilled. And Satan turns what, what's a gift from God and he'd love to turn it against us and say, does God really care for you? Does God like really have your best interest at heart? That's what he did in the garden with Eve. God really say you can't eat of any trees in the garden? He only told them one, but he, the devil comes and he says, really? Like, that seems really unreasonable. That's, that seems too big a load to carry. I don't, I don't know if God really loves you or not. Satan will do everything in his power to convince us that God is not for us, that God doesn't care for us, that we'd be better off making our own decisions. But again, God's word tells us that singleness, it's a gift from him. And here's the thing, God gives good gifts. God gives good gifts to us. Not the last minute kind of crappy, I forgot kind of gift. You know that gift when you turn up at somebody's birthday party and, and you have a Slurpee and, and a bag of beef jerky and a little lighter and you're like, happy birthday. And you're like, you clearly stopped at the 7-Eleven on the way over here, like, thanks. Not that kind of gift. In fact, Matthew 7-Eleven, <laughs> Matthew 7-Eleven says this, even <laughs> if even people who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I want to ask you this, do you trust God in his gift giving? Spurgeon puts it this way, if you could have chosen your own circumstances and conditions in life, you could not have made so wise a choice as God has made for you. Do you believe that this morning? Do you trust God this morning in that? 
Because I believe there's a unique ability and calling that Christ has gifted to you. And because he's gifted you in that, he'll sustain you and he'll empower you as a single person. Being single can be hard. It can be difficult. It can feel lonely sometimes. But I think also some of that loneliness is fueled by the perception that marital happiness is, is so great and, and we're missing out on what everybody else is enjoying. I would say this, I'd say trusting God in the midst of even the difficulties and the hardship of singleness. It's not about looking harder for a spouse. It's not even about praying harder for greater patience. It's about leaning more deeply into Christ and trusting him. And finding in him this deep joy and union that can't be fulfilled in any human marriage. It's this beauty and attractiveness to singleness gives you this window and this opportunity to pursue hard after God and experience just him, just you and him and all the goodness that he has for you. And that's where the gift of singleness becomes useful and joyful and fulfilling. And I believe that that's where the relief, even if you want to call it that, the pain of maybe if you have unwanted singleness begins to break when you can ask yourself, do I trust God? So I want to ask you, when was the last time you thanked God for being single? When was the last time you recognized your singleness as a gift from God? Because I think we all want to be pursued we all want to be loved. We all want to feel loved, right? We, we all want to feel like somebody knows us. You look at the gospel and it's right there. God pursued us. God loves us. God knows us. God knows everything about us. And so as we see our singleness as a gift, our second point this morning is this. I want, I want you to think about it. how do you cherish your gift? If singleness is this gift, well, don't just look for a way or don't just hope for the day that you get to pass it off and you get to kind of return it and say, yeah, thanks for that. Time to move on. How do we cherish your gift? You see, much of this chapter is addressing issues within the church because what's happening is that God is working on people's lives. People are coming to know the gospel and then they're full of all of these questions. They're like, okay, so I've given my life to Christ, but what happens when now I'm married and my husband or my wife, they don't know Jesus. Or, or I'm, I'm married, like, so do I divorce? Or, or I was divorced, do I remarry? Or, or do I stay single? And there's all of these questions coming along. In Paul, in verse 17, he says this, only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Now, I mean, there's some context around that. He's saying, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or not. It doesn't matter. He goes on and he talks a little bit about it. And he says, it doesn't matter if you're a slave or, or a free person. He's saying the call is the same. It's the same no matter what your life circumstances. Look at verse 22. He says, he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant, as a slave, is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. He's saying, it doesn't matter what your life circumstances. We're all called to the same thing, to serve Christ, to love him, to pursue him. In verse 24, he's able to say, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. With God. He's like, stop, 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 stop. I, I can talk about all of these questions and all of these things you're bombarding me with, but here's what it boils down to. Can you remain with God in your current circumstances? There let him remain with God. Another way of saying that really is saying, in your circumstances, God is with you. God's with you. God's got to provide for you. Do you cherish your singleness because of how God allows you to experience his new grace and his new mercy to you each day? 
Because in your singleness, God will provide for you. Our God promises to supply our every need according to his glory and riches in Christ Jesus. I believe in your singleness and in a, in a period of singleness, you need, there's kind of something unique. You need a unique perseverance. You need self-control. You need courage. You need a steadfastness about your faith. You know, love God's word says, it says, consider it pure joy whenever you go through various kind of trials. Why? Because it says the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. And then what does it say? It says, let steadfastness have its full effect that you can be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God has you in a place in your singleness where he could say, go, and you're like, I can go. There's a personal joy and excitement in serving the Lord. There's a deep trust in a sense in, in that you can't fall back on the, on the safety net of, well, I, I'll fall back on my wife or my kids or, or these other relationships. You're walking out the door and you're like, it's just you and me, God. You and me today, let, let's do life together. That's a beautiful thing. I would say this, when you put that in perspective, when you really grasp that, getting married isn't the answer to life's problems. Getting remarried isn't the answer. Having kids isn't the answer. Starting to date someone isn't the answer. And what if God's using a season of singleness in your life to truly teach you this, to refine this in you? And we're so eager to say, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. Lesson learned. Like, let, let's jump into marriage or let's jump into dating. I would say this. I've seen it before and I've seen it again. Broken, lonely, disappointed people become married, broken, lonely, disappointed people. Because even in marriage, the whole design is to point to the holiness of God, our relationship with God. It's, it's not about happiness, it's about holiness. And marriage isn't the answer for that. Look at, look at how many marriages fall apart, even after 20 years, even after all the kids are raised, and someone steps out. Why? I'm not really happy anymore. I'm not fulfilled anymore. Like, this, this isn't really doing it for me anymore. I'm kind of bored. I need something else. As a single person, that should tell us something. Don't idolize a human relationship over God. Don't idolize your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your want or your desire for that over a relationship with God. Because here's the thing, God's given us those desires. If you have a desire to be married, if you have desire for that companionship, that, that's a desire that God has placed in you. That's a good thing. But it becomes an idol when we make good things the ultimate things. Like Roger talked about, is it part of your praise? Don't make it your highest praise. So often we want to pursue happiness rather than holiness. And Matt talked about this to husbands, where we, where, we build the, where we build our houses or where we kind of pursue this happy wife, happy life dream. But we totally drop the, the holiness part, the, the pursuit of God, the, the true, this is where my fulfillment, this is where my desires are. And we want to exchange our gift of singleness maybe for something that we think is better. I want to touch on that for a second because as, as, as Pastor Matt was talking about this idea of happiness versus holiness, it kind of really rang a bell in my, in my mind when I was thinking about singleness and even re remembering my time as a single person. I think that problem, I think that root, that desire that comes up within us, it starts whenever we're single. We long for happiness over holiness, even when we're single. We'd rather be happy than holy. We'd rather have our desires met than be holy and honoring to God and finding Jesus. Many times even we maybe begin or enter into a relationship in the context or in the hope of this person will make me happy. And we see how that plays out in all kinds of different ways. We see that we'll, we'll be okay with, with dating someone who doesn't know Jesus. 
or we aren't kind of really sure, well, they come to church, like they're not against it. Like I follow Christ and I'm not really sure where they're at, but I mean, hopefully that changes. I'd say if you're a Christ follower and you're, you're dating an unbeliever, that's a huge, bold statement of where your heart is actually truly at before God. Because the Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked. It says, if you're truly making your life, making your mission about pursuing Christ, about being found in him, why would you be setting your life up with someone who's just not passionate about that, who doesn't care about that? Why would you do that? You're pursuing happiness over holiness. If you aren't married and you're having sex and you're sleeping with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you're pursuing happiness over holiness. Guys, if you're sleeping with your girlfriend, you're, you're putting your happiness and desires, maybe even her happiness, if you feel pressured to do that before God's holiness. That's something you need to stop doing. That's something you need to repent of straight away. God, God's given us this beautiful gift of sex, but he's, he's protected it and he put it in the context and, and in, the, in the protection of marriage for a reason to protect us. So if that's a gift that we're opening, that, that, that's not our gift to open if you're not married. I want to just put a bully. If you're not married, then you don't have the gift of sex. You don't have that yet. And if you're giving that away to someone else as well and you're not married, that's not your gift to give away. That's not something that you should be doing. That's happiness over holiness. Let's maybe even take it down a notch if you want to. Constantly needing and longing for that attention of a boy or a girl or someone pursuing us or someone texting us or someone messaging us or whatever it is. If that's what we live off, the buzz of someone pursuing us, Maybe you're like, well, it's not a serious thing. I'm not going to take that anywhere. Then why are you pursuing that? You're pursuing your happiness over holiness. What are we seeking after? What are we cherishing in our singleness? Look at what Paul says in verse 26. He says, I think that in the view of present distress, we don't really know exactly what that is, but he's saying it's difficult to follow Christ. It's hard. He's saying, I think in the view of present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. He says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. This, this terminology that he's using here, seeking, it's the same term that's used over and over again in the pursuit of God. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek first the kingdom of God. When you seek me with all your heart, then I'll be found, says the Lord. He's saying, don't make this your God. Allow your singleness to magnify your God. Enjoy the gift you have. Cherish it. And if God leads you into marriage, into a relationship, if your heart is truly on him, then your marriage will be all the better for you in that because it starts with you. That's why even if you're married here this morning, I think this is a good message. This was good for me to, to be reminded of these things, even if I prep this, in the sense that this is where our hearts need to be even when we're married. That our first desire is for the Lord. But then look in verse 28, he says, if you marry, you haven't sinned. It's not wrong. It's not a bad thing at all. He says, if a betrothed woman marries, if someone who's arranged to be married marries, it says she has not sinned. Marriage is a good thing. It's not the ultimate thing. So I'd say this, keep that in context then. So, so boys, so, so men, I would say this. If you're looking to be married, look for a woman who loves Jesus more than she loves you. I've heard Pastor Kai say that here before. Look for a woman who would rather pursue holiness than happiness. Be thankful when a girl would rather pursue her holiness than your happiness and encourage that. Girls, ladies, the same thing. Look for a man who loves Jesus more than he loves you. 
Look for a man who'd rather pursue holiness with you than happiness. Maybe you're like, oh, that sounds great. I'd love to find someone who, who loves God more than he loves me. And maybe you're writing that down and here's what we miss though so often. That maybe in our singleness right now, that's what God has for you. That's what God's wanting to train you up in to be that person yourself for somebody else. Is your singleness an incredible tool that God has given you to enable you to love him deeper and pursue him more? Or is it just a place of kind of zero accountability where you get to do whatever you want to because nobody's keeping tabs on you? Because I'd say this, guess what? When I got married, when Amelia and I got married and we had this beautiful day and we got married outside and the sun was shining and it was just like, it was the perfect day. And we said our vows to, one, to each other and put a, she put a ring in my finger and I put a ring in her finger and all of these great things. And that's a day I'll never forget, but that day didn't change me as a man. It didn't change me as a person. I brought in all my, all, all my good things and all the things that I'd learned from the Lord, but I also brought in all my tendencies for self-reliance and all my sinful patterns and all of these things that, I had, that I'd brought into my life as a single person. And the same for her as well. So even if you have a desire for marriage, don't make it your ultimate. Spend the time pressing into the Lord and trust him in that, that if he has a marriage for you, that your heart right now is to pursue him. And if he doesn't, if you're going to remain single for your life, then that's okay too, because you still need to be in that place of pursuing him. Verse 28, he says, those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Anybody know that marriage brings some troubles with it? Don't say amen too loudly. Mm-hmm, amen. Yeah, not... But marriage is difficult. And Paul's saying the time on earth, it, it, it's great to be spent pursuing Christ. Is that your goal? That, to, to be being made right with God, justification, and then spend this time being made more into the image of Christ, sanctification, to one day go to be with him in heaven, glorification. Is that the goal of your life? He's saying keep everything in that perspective. Verse 29, he says, this is what I mean. The, the appointed time has grown very short, talking about our time here on earth. So he says, what, from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Whether we're married or single, the season in our life, it passes away. Maybe God gives you 60 years, 70 years, maybe 80 years on this earth and then it passes away. And what's after that? Your eternity is after that. There's a, there's a point where this, this is demonstrated so clearly by, by Jesus. In Matthew 22, there's these religious leaders and they come to Jesus. And really they're just trying to trip Jesus up because the story they come up with is pretty crazy. But they come to Jesus and they say, hey Jesus, so tell us this then. So imagine there's this woman and she gets married but her husband dies. So she gets married again, but then her husband dies and she gets married again and then her husband dies and then she gets married again. And let's just kind of keep this, you know, believable. So say this happens seven times. <laughs> Their question is, so who's she married to in heaven? And I love what Jesus' answer is. Jesus goes straight to the heart because if somebody asked me that, I'd be like, okay, like what's going on? Like, have you checked the carbon monoxide detector? Like, is there asbestos in the house? Is there something in the water? Is she like a serial killer? What's going on with all of these husbands? But Jesus jumps straight to the point and he says, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. 
He's saying you don't get it. He's saying eternity, there's just going to be this point where where you're just, you're in heaven and you're in the presence of God. And you're going to be be there joining in with the angels' songs saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And even though you have eternity to be able to do that, to be lost in the awe and the presence of God, even though you have eternity, you're not going to have that time when you want to turn and look at something else or someone else because you're just lost in the presence of God for eternity. That's the perspective that he's saying, live your life now, realizing that that's what you should be headed for. That's what you can be headed for when you're finding Jesus Christ. So why pour all of your time and effort into all of these other things and run after all of these worldly desires when in eternity you get to be lost in the awesome, amazing presence of God? I can't get my mind around that. That for eternity, that's what we're going to be doing, but that's how awesome and glorious our God is. And here's the thing, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't play down the importance of our marriage, the importance of our relationships here right now. I kind of think it this way. Black Friday's just happened, right? And maybe you bought, imagine you come home and you bought your 70-inch surround sound, smart TV, a 4K, HD ready, all of those things. We'll talk about my heart idols later. But imagine you do that. Imagine you, you start to pull that out of the box. And what's the really important thing at that moment? The instruction manual, Right? Because it's a smart team. It's like, how do you hook this thing up to Wi-Fi? Like, what's all these apps? How do you mount it to the wall? Like, where do the speakers go? It's really valuable at that time. Because it's pointing you toward how to set up your TV. But you know what? When you get to that glorious moment and you turn your TV on, at that 70-inch surround, it's just like, ah. And you're just like lost in your couch. You're just staring at the TV. You don't care about the instruction manual anymore. Really important for a while. But once you're there, once you're lost in that... Who cares about the instruction? That's the kind of context where it's like, marriage, you know what? It's really important. teaches us really good things, even our relationship right now. But once you get to the glory of God, what else matters? So why spend our lives now missing God, missing experiencing God, glorifying God? Because we're so fixed on, am I married? Am I single? What about our kids? What does God have for me? All of these things when we should be focused on eternity. says verse 31, for the present form of this world is passing away. Lastly and quickly this morning, I'd say this, our last point is just don't waste your gift. Life is short. Life is short and God gives us a calling and God loves us and cares for us and gives us what we need right now and he's given us a gift no matter where we are in our lives, so don't waste your gift. There may be a time when you do marry. Verse 36, he says, if anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, If his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry. It's no sin. Marriage is a good thing. But look what he says. Whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he's saying, to not marry, says he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage, get this, he who refrains from marriage will do even better in your singleness, whether it's a season or a lifetime or a place you don't think you should be in, the Lord promises that you can do even better with him in this season. Why? Because what's the call? It's go, go take the gospel. Go make disciples. Go take the gospel and multiply the gospel as you become a follower of Christ yourself. It's saying, go live that out and glorify God. I would say when you're single, you can invest and pour into all sorts of friendships and relationships that you otherwise just can't pursue as a married person. You have the ability to, to manage your time well, and I don't, I don't mean it in terms of you have more time, because single people are busy too, but you have the ability to manage your time perhaps more easily, better. You, you know what, what if God has missions for you? 
You can up and leave and go. You can be somewhere. You can care for that person. You can love on that person. You can serve others well. You can pour your time and your efforts into other friendships to glorify God. And maybe you kind of read that, those few verses that we just read, and you're like, well, okay, God definitely doesn't have singleness for me then because I struggle big time, like with passions and, and all of these things. Like, it's difficult. I need a partner. Remember what he said in verse 17? It says, let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him. We don't get to pick what God assigns us. We don't get to pick how long even the assignment is. But I hope and pray that would our heart be that we'd be able to say yes to God and allow him to use the plans he has for us. And it's not a case that, you know what, if you're single, God must, have, you know, he must have some work that he still has to do. He must have to teach you something that everybody else that's married has got already. It's not about that. God has a plan and a purpose for you. He set aside works for you. I was speaking to some of, some of my single friends, some other people that are kind of similar stage of life to me about kind of how is, it, how is it being single? And you know what? Some, some of them said, sometimes it's great. Sometimes it focuses my heart on the Lord, my mind. I have to trust the Lord in a unique way. There are days when I get to walk into life and I, I, it's, just, it's just you and me, God, today, and that's a beautiful thing. But then they said, there's times when it's hard. There's times when, when I'm watching my friends and they're getting married and having kids and especially with Christmas coming up and doing all these family things, like that's difficult when people are showing love to one another. One of my friends said this, they said, I thought I'd be married when I, I was, thought I'd be one of those people that was married when I was 20, but I'm into my 30s now. You know what they said? I wouldn't, but I wouldn't trade the last 10 years for anything because we're able to say, God has taken me places I, I, I never would have gone if I was married. I have deep, intentional friendships I wouldn't otherwise have the time for. I've been able to encourage and disciple other people in ways I couldn't have if I was married. God promises you as a single person, as a widowed person, as a separated per person, that he'll provide the perseverance you need, the steadfastness you need, the, the, the spirit to resist temptation that you need, the raw, real, gutsy faith and determination that you need to do this life with him. I would say the best privilege of being single is far and away the enhanced opportunity for discipleship and serving Jesus. I think this is more than anything, even more so than, than marriage. This is how God remedies our loneliness. That there's a satisfaction, a deep satisfaction that comes from living out and serving him in unique ways that we just can't do if we were married. And when we do this, we, we come to value our lives. We come to value our singleness, not not despise it. Singleness isn't second best. It's a privileged calling with unique blessings to enjoy and pour out. That's why he's able to say, he who refrains from marriage will do even better. You know what? As we watch maybe family or friends grow up and you don't need to feel robbed or shut out because even right now, like we started with the, this whole emphasis of scripture, it's not mom, dad, and three kids. It's, it's church family is that we're in the family of God together. When this, this biblical priority, I think, sometimes gets reversed, we idolize family to, in church so much and we hold it up on this pedestal and we talk about it all the time. But the truth is, it's about us first, our, our hearts before God. And we can, we can find this encouragement, we can find this intentionality, we can find this companionship if you're a single person in the family of God. I wanna encourage you in that. I grew so much spiritually when I actually pressed in and leaned into the family of God. When I had other guys in my life that would ask me questions that my first reaction was, you don't get to ask me that. 
That's a really personal, that's a really personal question about where I'm at with the Lord. You don't get to ask me about what I'm watching or what I'm doing or who I'm pursuing or who I'm dating or any of those things. And as I leaned into the family of God, God started to do a great work in my heart. Using his family, providing for me in this, in this church family here, I would say even maybe widowed people, single people. The church has given specific instructions to care for you, to love you well. So if you're feeling lonely, if you're feeling broken, if you're like, I don't see how the Lord's going to provide for me, he's surrounded you with a family right here. Look around you with people who want to care for you, want to love you, want to spur you on, want to support you. And if you're not feeling that, I'd say be intentional, press in, lean into the family of God. All of my family still live back home in Northern Ireland. And you know what? If I don't make an intentionality to call them up, to connect with them, to be like, here's where I'm at. Yeah, I could be over here and I'd be like, I feel alone. I feel disconnected. Does my family love me? But I, but I call them up every week and it's, God, it's so great to hear from you. What's going on? Like, when can we come and visit? When are you coming back? And, and I find this intentionality with my family. It's the same with the family of God. If you're single, lean in, press in, find your, find your provision from the Lord and the people around you that he's placed in your life. I would say this, Jesus never married. Jesus didn't have kids. He didn't date. He didn't have sex. And he came and he lived a perfect God-demonstrated life. As the worship team comes up this morning, I want you to think about what does God have for you? Why does God have us here? Why has God maybe gifted you with this season of singleness in your life? Verse 35, he says, I say it for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Maybe that's what God has for you right now, where God's pursuing you. Even this morning, he has you here to call you back to himself this morning, where you've been placing all your hope and your identity and all your dreams and all your wants for happiness in something else. Maybe even in your marriage and you've been putting all of that on your spouse and he's calling you back to say, no, 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 you find all of this in me because I love you, because I'm pursuing you, because I know you and I know what's best for you and I have you right where I want you if you just lean into me and experience me.